You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. One of the things I've learned about the presence of the Lord, and, and how many of you really honestly felt the presence of the Lord earlier? Just acknowledge that. He, whenever he comes, he comes to do something for people. So let's believe this morning he's going to do something for each one of us. How many of you want to adopt that posture of faith? Yes, yes, yes. Now what we've been doing, if we've been, we have been, I've been teaching on the life of Joseph. To me, one of the great, great historical patriarchs of the faith. Not a man completely faultless, but an incredible, incredible man, an incredible story. And so I believe this is part five. I get lost in the part numbers, but I do believe this is part five, and we have these on our on our website. And I'm going to call this one Passing the Test. That should uh, bring a little note of sobriety in here this morning. Say that with me, Passing the Test. Passing the Test. Um, and I'm going to return to Psalm 105, verse 17 through 22. So um, I'll read that. Do you see it above there? Do we have that on the overhead? You want to read it together? Why don't we read it together this morning? That would be great. Verse 17. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. To bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Excuse me. Oh, Joseph's story... Joseph's life story contains so many valuable life lessons and spiritual principles. The idea I want us to explore today um, is the relationship between uh, spiritual slash or personal slash spiritual growth and passing um, tests. One important fact of life is that we're all going to be tested. Anybody figure that out yet? We're all going to be tested. Some of the tests the Lord gives us. Other ones are just part of what life in a fallen world brings our way. So let me be clear. I, I don't believe God brings this COVID. You hear what I'm saying? But in a fallen world, here we are. So we deal with it. How we deal with it. How we deal with anything life throws our way makes, makes a difference. Um, yeah, how we handle these tests in large part determine how well we do in life. Two things all of us want. We want authority and we want wisdom. Now, you may not know you want authority, but you do. You want to have um, the kind of one aspect of authority is respect. You want to, how many of you really want to be respected? You want to be known for who you are. And, and for what you are. But authority can also manifest as power. But 
not just say power to rule, but power to protect, power to change, or power to come to to someone's aid who's in trouble. But your authority comes from a continual proper response to being tested. Now, now this, this may not sound like good news, but it is good news. Because how many of you know have escaped, um, entirely escaped everything that's gone on for the last six months? I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. Well, there are lots of different ways to relate to that. You can moan. You can complain. You can feel sorry for yourself. And I think um, all of us have probably done each one of those at some point or place. How many would you nod your head in the affirmation? Yeah, we may have done. We may still be doing it. But here's something we need to regard. What if we could view what's been going on as a test, as an opportunity to change, as an opportunity to discover what weaknesses we have that we don't know we have. How many of you are listening to me here this morning? Because I think, I think this is important. Well, how did Joseph get authority and wisdom? How did he go from being stripped naked and sold into slavery into becoming the second ranking authority in Egypt. And to me, the point was not how high his rank was. The point was what he was enabled to do in the saving of lives because he had become that. How did he become that? How, how, think of that. How did he go from a, from a slave, a humiliated teenager, to a person who was responsible through wisdom and authority in saving the lives of millions of people. How did he do that? How many are interested in knowing? I know I am. Well, that's the story of Joseph. And Psalm 105, we just read that, reveals that Joseph obtained both authority and wisdom with how well he handled the pressures of life. He passed his test. Now, I had a friend, I worked in a ministry, one particular ministry for over 12 years, and I went through some particular situation, and one of the leaders of that ministry said to me, well, you you flunked that test. And I said, yes, but I didn't get a zero. I got like a 65. Right? Come on. Old hopeful Robin springs to life, you know. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, I didn't get a zero. This really probably over the long haul won't even affect my grade. Yeah, get four or five hundreds, ace a few tests, I'm good. So, no, but Joseph was tested until he was promoted. Testing precedes the fulfillment of promises. How many of you have exceeding great and precious promises that you have yet to enter into? How many of you? You you can feel it. Maybe you have specifics. Well, I think we need to be aware of how 
how some of this works. Um, Joseph learned how to function in what he would ultimately do by being faithful and wise in each progressive stage of his life. Wonder when they stripped that garment that his father gave him, that coat of many colors. I wonder if when they jerked that thing off of him and threw him naked into that ditch, if he said, wow, heading to the throne. Awesome. Probably didn't connect those two things. But guess what? They were connected. They were connected. So he learned how to function in his ultimate role by being faithful and wise in each progressive stage of his life. He allowed his attitude to be adjusted, and he learned how to rule his emotions. How many of you have ever said things you wish you hadn't said? Just a few. Yeah. I'm going to take a sip while you reconsider that. Yeah, you let your emotions get get the best of you. Um, but looking back at Psalm 105, verse 19 in particular, it says the word of the Lord tested him until the time his word came to pass. And so in that verse, in our translation, this is the New King James, um, the word word, I'm this weird, weird thing to say, the word word appears twice. The word of the Lord tested him until his word came to pass, but they're, they're two different words. One of them, you could say this. Do you remember Joseph's dreams? Joseph had these prophetic dreams which were to him, and they were proven to be so the word of the Lord. And his dreams were dreams of reigning, ruling, being successful, being prosperous. And then he went through this extended, I can, I can tell you uh, of a fact it was almost 25 years. I know it was 22 years before his brothers recognized him as second in command in Egypt. But um, the word of the Lord, his promise tested him until his dream or his promise came to pass because the word of the Lord that came to him was actually a promise. And and if you've ever been promised something, and it's it happens so frequently, God can give you this amazing promise and then everything in your life um, acts the exact opposite of what you believe he told you. Right? Yes. Hey, Moses says to all of uh, Israel, we're going to the promised land. And then the next day they wake up after this calamity in the ocean. Where are they? They're in a wilderness. Yes, but we have to recognize that. That's the way this works. And here's something too. Sometimes the more significant the promise, the more challenging the process to get there. But God will get us there. God will get us there. Let's say that. God will get us there. I mean, I was reading, um, uh, what is it, Walter, Walter Brueggemann, prophetic imagination. And one of the things he was saying was that when Moses went to Pharaoh 
he was basically telling Pharaoh, your gods are not even gods. They really don't even exist. And I'm speaking for the God who needs nothing, who needs no one, who must depend on absolutely no person, place, event, or thing whatsoever. And see, that's who our God is. We depend on him. He doesn't depend on us. He can bring us through every single episode in such a way that we come out of it better than we went into it. Better than when we went into it. But the enemy is after at least two things in you right now. And, it, and, and, and it's, it's, it's your faith and it's your hope. It's your faith and it's your hope. You could lose virtually everything else. But if you maintain legit faith and legit hope, you have still postured yourself to enter into everything God has for you in your life. You can't give those up. Don't give those up. Let me say that a different way. Don't give those up. The trying of your faith, the Bible says, is more precious than gold. What's gold worth an ounce right now? Who would like to have a pound? Oh, that's not near as valuable as your faith. And your faith is built on a God who cannot lie, who has given us, uh, according to Second Peter, exceeding great and precious promises, whereby we can actually be literal partakers of the divine nature. That's what it is to have Christ living inside of us. And the problem is, oh gosh, this is such a problem. You have more inside of you that is what God has put there, then you are even aware of. The Bible actually says in Second Peter chapter 1, He has given us everything we need, given, past tense, for life and godliness. And then it goes on to say, and it dwells inside of us in abundance. But if you don't see those things, the Bible says, you're blind, not even rebellious, not even faithless. But you're blind. Blind to what? Blind to what the gospel says God has done for us. Are you listening? This is important. This is important. The last six months could be termed in this way. Huge distraction. You know that's right. You're distracted. What what, what are you looking at? What are you paying attention to? What are you feeding on? Anyway, here's, here's an idea. You ready for it? Do you have your pen out? Your paper? Stop being distracted. Yeah. I can't see the Lord sitting on the throne going, gee whiz, what are we going to do about this? Mm. No, no. N- now, I'm preaching boldly. Have I had my moments? Come on, of course. Of course. These have been difficult days. I don't think there's any question about that. But I believe God wants to do remarkable things in us and through us and for us. Um, So, the proper response to current troubles and problems is to discover God's purpose for you in it. 
and to embrace it. Don't waste your pandemic. I mean, every one of us in the room would have said, gee, I wish this were over. What if there's something bigger at stake and wishing it were over is not the point? What, what if you could get the biggest promotion in your life because you concluded through these things, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I, I said this before. I said it. This was months ago. I said, Lord, I'm tired of this. He said, well, it's just one day. I said, well, what? He said, it's just, you, you, just today. It's just today. Of course, we think in the volume of the days. We, we try to relive our sorrows until we can get the maximum heartbreak out of them. Right? I think that's terrible. No, he said it's just one day. Well, there's several scary things to the Lord. One day is as a thousand years. So, gee, we can have a thousand year pandemic or no, I don't think that's what he meant. No, he meant you just live today. You, hey, novel idea. Act like a Christian. Right? Okay. I wasn't. He was helping. Don't waste your pandemic. Don't waste your trials. Relate to it as a test, something to learn from, an opportunity to overcome every obstacle. Ask yourself this question. What am I learning in the middle of this? And I know there are people so frustrated that they're saying, they're not here, they're on live stream maybe, but welcome live stream, forgot to say hello. You can be so frustrated, you don't even want to reorient yourself to what I'm saying here. But I think you really should ask yourself, what am I learning in the middle of this? What behaviors, what attitudes do I, we, you need to adjust or change or forsake? Yes, it's time for an adjustment. Adjust your attitude. Now, the idea behind passing the test, one preacher used to say, we never ultimately fail a test because the Lord continues to give us retest until we pass. Wouldn't that be an idea there that, uh, hey, you know this thing you're going through that you don't really like? And so you just try to ignore it. And uh, Well, it's a test, and if you don't pass it, you get another chance. Oh, my, that's not working. Nobody... But there really is something to, to this. Um, I think we're in a reality check. You know, how I had a friend of mine, and, and years ago he told me this. He said, Robin, you know, I was convinced I was living a very high spiritual life, a very successful spiritual life. And then I found out something. I said, what was that? He said, I'd never been tested. You see, we all are doing well until we have something we have to face we can't get away from. We really do. And, and we just have to face things. We have to adjust our attitude. We have to dig deeper. We have to push into knowing the Lord 
more. And here's what will happen. It's not that your effort or energy will make the difference. It's that as you turn towards the Lord, he will begin to open things up for you. He will begin to open up concepts, ideas. He'll, He'll increase your faith. And here's another thing. It's an open book test. It's an open book test. Or um, iPad, cell phone, however you do it. But it's an open book test. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Of course, that was written 2,000 years ago, ends of the ages. But this is one of the reasons we're looking so closely at the life of Joseph. Joseph's life was real. That was an actual story. I mean, that was, that was not fiction. Do you understand someone named Joseph really went through exactly those things? And through them all, he became better He became a better version of himself, not a worst version. He discovered, he discovered the heart of God. He navigated some of the most profound and um, serious betrayals a person could experience. And at the end of it, he was enabled by the grace of God, by the revelation of God, by his relationship with God. To save the lives of every one of those brothers of his who betrayed him. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. But these things happened to them as examples. They were written to encourage us. Now, I think there's several evidences that Joseph passed his tests. And I've got three. I'm probably just going to cover two of them. But let me tell you what they are. The first one has to do with something I've already mentioned, the naming of his children. The second one is that he served the purpose of God in his generation. And the third lesson we get from Joseph is this, and this is really interesting, and it's going to take a lot of explanation, and I'll probably do it another time. But every time Joseph got promoted, two things. It didn't look like a promotion, And it cost him his clothes. Two things. It didn't look like a promotion. And it cost him his clothes. But here's the thing. The episodes that happened to him, in a sense, were ambivalent. In other words, they were neither promotions nor demotions. You know who determined that? Joseph. Joseph determined it. So we'll get into that later. But let's look at this. The naming of his children. I've already talked about this some, but some of this is reviewed, but I'm going to uh, just jump into it because I think it's very, very important. So Genesis 41, 50 through 52. The meaning of the names of Joseph's two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. Verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, who Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name 
of the firstborn, Manasseh, made to forget. And then he said, for God has made me forget what? All my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, which literally means double fruitfulness or abundant fruitfulness. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so Joseph's two sons were like two living witnesses of the work that God had done in his heart in the midst of his toil and in the land of his affliction. And I like to think this. Every time Joseph called the children's name, he was testifying to the goodness of God. He could have named the first one, this is awful, and the second one, I give up. So every time he called them, this is awful, supper time, you too, I'm giving up. Right? But that's not what was going on. Every time he called Manasseh, he was proclaiming and reaffirming his deliverance from his emotional distress, the loss of his family, loss of his home. And do not kid yourself. What you say has a huge, maybe not as absolute, but it has a huge influence on your emotional well-being and how your life turns out. I could prove that 10 ways from Sunday if I wanted to. Just trust me. It was important that he named those kids what he named them. Manasseh, causing to forget. Ephraim, double fruitfulness. Each time he called the name of his youngest son, Ephraim, he was declaring that even in a land where he was chained, stripped, and afflicted, God made him fruitful. When he uttered the name of his son Ephraim, Joseph was testifying in his native tongue. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. His children were living reminders of the redemptive work of God and the favor God gave Joseph against incredible odds. Living, breathing testimonies. It's like Joseph could say, if you want to know what God's done in my life, look at these two boys. Because they're living, breathing testimonies. Testimonies remind us of the good things God has done for us. That's one of the things about being grateful. Grateful. Thanksgiving can replace. Thanksgiving is a process of remembering. And remembering is a process of forgetting. Does that make any sense? Thanksgiving is a process of remembering, and remembering is like a substitute. You substitute remembering for forgetting. You put that in your mind. That's what you dwell on. Anyway, testimonies tell others what God will do again. He'll do it for me. He'll do it for you. Now, here's the thing I want to get to, the order of the children's names. We need to pay attention. Interesting that Joseph named the first child Manasseh and the second child Ephraim. He didn't name the first child Ephraim and the second child Manasseh. He did it just the reverse. It's interesting that, quote, forgetting my toil in my father's house, unquote, the pain in the past came before double fruitfulness. Made me forget all my toil in all my father's house preceded. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land 
of my affliction. What could that mean? There's a message in this order, in the order that Joseph chose to name his children. Maybe it's not always, but often we won't or cannot or don't bear fruit until we forget what lies behind us, until we successfully deal with our past hurt and pain. Do you cultivate your sorrows or do you leave the past behind? Do you nurture your resentments? How many of you know what I mean by nurturing your resentments? Do you run them over in your mind over and over? That's not good. Or do you process them? I'm, I'm sort of an outward processor. Um, some of the, uh, but if you over process, it indicates you're not through what happened to you yet. How many of you hear what I'm saying? If you just talk about it and talk about it. I mean, you have to talk about it, right? Yeah, you talk about it. You, you have interchange. Maybe you get counseling or, um, or, or therapy. I mean, that's, that's a good thing. But you have to successfully deal with, with your past to lay hold of your present and your future. Paul said this in Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Then he says like four things. But one thing I do, unless all of these four things are just one thing, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, therefore let us, as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. This has also reminded me, this pattern of causing to forget that comes before fruitfulness. It, it reminds me too of Jeremiah 15. And I'm going to close on this and we're going to invite uh, Thomas up here in just a moment. But in Jeremiah 15, in the trans, uh, Amplified Translation, verse 19 reads this way. Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if re you return, quote, and give up this mistaken tone of distrust, distrust and despair, then, is that on the overhead there? What's that next word after despair? Then. You've got an if-then sentence there. If you give up this, what kind of tone? Mistaken tone of what? Distrust and despair. You can have a tone of despair and you're simply mistaken. Change your mind about it. I, I, there's a thing I'm trying to figure out how to give to people. I don't know how to do it. Okay. When, when you call the name Manasseh, causing to forget. Manasseh is the result of a situation, right? In, in one way, you can look at Manasseh as a tone. So Joseph could have named his son, I give up, or he could name him Manasseh. Either one of those would be a tone of something that preceded it, right? Right? 
And whenever he called the name Manasseh, he was recalling through a tone a reality. Now, I'm trying to get somewhere here. Here's a mistaken tone. Oh. Here's um, God has given me all that I need. Oh. Right? Two tones. But here's the key. If you remember the tone and repeat the tone, the tone will take you back to the truth. Or if you repeat the tone that's negative, the negative tone will take you back to the lie. That's so important. It's hard to communicate. But then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you do what? Separate the precious from the vile. What does that mean? Cleansing your own heart from unworthy, unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, what will happen? You shall be my mouthpiece. Verse 20, and I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. They will not prevail over you, for I am with you to save and deliver you. So you've got to see, just like the order of the names of Joseph's children, we need to see the order of the word the Lord was giving Jeremiah. Give up this mistaken tone proceeds, then I'll give you again a settled place of quiet and safety. Cleansing your own heart from unworthy, unwarranted suspicions concerning my faithfulness, you should be my mouthpiece. Here's the word of the Lord. God does not want hopeless people speaking on his behalf because he is not hopeless. He is not defeated, and he is our God. He is our God. So, I have other things we'll cover later, but I want to invite Thomas. Thomas Torrey, we love you so much, and we welcome you to come. Using your test, using your pandemic. I feel the Lord has used this pandemic to teach me something that I want to give us just one minute of space here as we enter into communion, and that's presence, being present. In the same way the Lord was saying to Robin, it's just today. It's just today. Communion in the ancient church is called the presence. And we think of, we say it all the time, it might have lost its meaning. Oh, the presence of the Lord. But think about presence not as this idea of inhabitation or or closeness or nearness. It is those things. But think of it as nowness. Presentness. And for me, as someone who lives in this future narrative of ambition and all the great things I feel like I'm entitled to that aren't happening, living in that, the Lord will use something like a pandemic to teach me presentness, being still, being here being now. I think it's why Jesus says, be like the little kids because they don't have any trouble being present. They're not 
nostalgic for the past. They're not stressing about the future like us mature adults do. They're just here and present. C.S. Lewis wrote The Screwtape Letters, a masterpiece, where an elder demon is training a younger demon in the ways of humanity in order to tempt them. And he said, it's really simple. Just get them to think about their past, wishing for some time that was, or dreaming about some future. It doesn't really matter if they're stressed or if they're happy about it. Just get them thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Whatever you do, don't let them live in the present. Because that's where God is. God isn't in the past. He isn't in the future because the construct of past and future is sort of our human construct. God is in the present. And eternity isn't some endless future. It's ever-presentness. It's eternal nowness. So as we take communion, and as we think about the reason why we do spiritual practices, why we even gather, why we sing songs together, it is to practice that presentness, to be present. Being present together. So let's just close our eyes. And let's just sit in the nowness, in the presentness, And hear Jesus saying, it's just today. It's just today. Appreciate the tests he has given us, the big global test we're all working through together and the small micro tests that we deal with every day. And as we share in communion, let it be an act of presentness being here, being now, where God is. It's the reason we say our humanity is being joined to his deity, as I'm about to say in a minute when I mix this water and wine. It's the present tense. It's the reason on Easter we say Christ is risen. It's not has risen, it's is risen. It is presentness. It is happening now, eternally, every day, every moment. It is why the name of God is, I am. Lord, we prepare our hearts. We confess the sins where we have fallen short in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have not done, by not being present. Lord, we thank you for the mercy of the tests you give us, for what they teach us. We ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness. Just like the word said, he forgets what is past. That's because he's in the present. What happened is gone. And so right now, today, we live in full forgiveness and freedom. Thank you for the gift. This water is poured into this cup, the chalice of salvation, recalling the water which flowed from the side of the Son of God. 
May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity and our humanity is being joined to his deity, never to be separated. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me. Go ahead and eat the bread. And just don't rush it. Just be here now. The chewing, the act of eating is a present act. This is your body broken. Thank you, Lord. Likewise, after they'd eaten, he took the cup and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as remembrance for me. And I encourage you to take extra and lead your children in this after at home in the car. We are all priests be their priest. Show them the presence. Share with them the presentness of the body and blood. It's okay if they don't understand it because, spoiler, it's not really comprehensible. It's a mystery. <laughs> I'll close with a prayer, a blessing. As we enter our week, Lord, Give us that reminder, it's one day at a time, it is today. And the test that we face, Lord, let us let our posture be to be taught. And if we fail, thank you that hopefully for most of us, it's not a zero. (laughs) And there's endless retakes. This is from Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope. Hope. Amen. Have a good week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 